You look a little tired. What time did you get up today? I was supposed to get up at 5, but I woke up at 4, so I stayed awake just because it wasn't worth it to go are back you to in, sleep. Are you in training for the Winter Olympics? I am. You have, to, am. You have yes. to get up early to... The Olympi- uh, Olympics, walking to my car and back into the house. What's your favorite Winter Olympic event? Um, if, if hmm. indeed you have one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I used to watch all the you know ice skating when it was like Brian Bortano and Katarina Vitt. I like the speed skating. That's kind of fun. Yeah. I'll be watching the downhill ski jumps because a friend of mine has her son who is the top U.S. ski jumper. So I will be trying to find out when that's going to be on and watch that to see how he does. I've always liked the biathlon, which is Not sure uh, what that cross-country is. skiing and rifle shooting at targets. And you have to carry your rifle uh, on your back. With you, yeah. it's absolutely grueling, and they have to go something like twenty-five kilometers as well on their oh skis. Goodness. But I, I admire oh. the. Do they broadcast that? Of course they do. Okay. Probably at like four in the morning. Well, a lot of the about broad- when you yeah. wake up. Yeah, really. Uh-huh. Greetings, booth oneers. Gary Zabinski here with episode seventy-two in our continuing celebration of the art of lively conversation about the arts and popular culture. It's Oscar season. And we're going to delve into this year's Academy Award actor and film nominations in just a bit, as it has been our tradition for several years now. But first, say hello to my returning co-host, Frank Taranjo. I am here. (laughs) And you've been up since the crack of dawn. I have. I went out to Gurney, Illinois, and judged a high school regional speech tournament. Yeah, in addition to being a longtime educator and theater director and theater artist, you also ran the speech teams at the high school where you you, uh, first started. Yeah, I taught for five years at um, University High School in Normal, and then I came back up here where I was from and taught at Fenton High School for five years in Bensonville. Now in your (laughs) semi-retirement, you are judging high school speech competitions. In fact, that's what you did today. I did. And it was it's the um, IHSA official tournaments where you go to the regionals. If you place in the top four there, you go to the sectionals. If you place in the top three there, you go to state. What did you judge today? What, today, what categories? Today, I judged original comedy. Your students write their own comic routine. It can You're be, kidding. Yeah, really? could be almost anything. could be stand-up. It was quite a Quite a variety. I judged that. And then I judged dramatic duet acting, where they take a cutting from a serious play and act it out. Interesting thing about that was there were two people doing the same piece, a piece called Molly. You know, they went back to back, and the final one went after the other. So that was kind of interesting. Always not so good. Yeah. And then I judged poetry, and then I judged prose. Tell me what's involved with prose. It has to be from a printed, published source, and you have to give proof of that when you arrive. So you can't just sort of grab something off the internet, or you just, I mean, it has to be something that has been legitimately published and is available, you know, to anyone and has probably a Library of Congress number or something like that. What do you look for in a good speech competition presentation as a judge? Depends on the event. Like, obviously, in the original comedy, I was looking for... Laughs. laughs. Yeah, if I laugh. I actually La- ranked it literally the one good. I laughed at the most got my first. Because <laughs> it was funny. It's supposed to be original comedy. Well, sure, of mm-hmm. course. Because some people are very skilled, and they're doing a lot of characters. 
that particularly funny. So if, if they had some degree of skill and it was funny, they went to the top. Now, obviously, in prose and poetry, I'm not looking for funny. In prose, their creation of characters, how, sure. how the narrator held the thing together. In poetry, I'm looking for creation of images. I'm looking for use of language and the way that they deal with the rhythms and if there's rhyme in the poetry. So I look for different things with each of the different events. And as a result, it's it, it goes pretty fast because there's a lot of variety. For sure. I always thought the best piece you can have is get them laughing at the beginning and then move them at the end. So if you're laughing, people relate to that. They connect with that. It's funny. Oh, my God, I know exactly what that's like. Ha, ha, ha. And then something happens, and then you are moved, whether it's sad or whether it's insightful or whatever, but it, a serious second half. Those are the ones that I always thought were the best, and usually those are the ones that you know win. Make me laugh or make me cry. Make me laugh Someone and then make famous me cry. once said, mm-hmm. and then make me cry. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I wanted to uh, address something, not to get, well, this is sort of like the serious part. Longtime listeners of this show will recall that I began this podcast with my partner, Roscoe, my podcast partner, Roscoe. Mm-hmm. And for the last year or so, Roscoe has been dealing with, well, as you know, Frank, life happens. Yeah. Things happen. And some he's been dealing issues. with some health issues. And we've been pretty upfront about that for the last year or so. Well, again, life sort of happens and life changes and things move on. And uh, I have to say that it's Probably very doubtful that Roscoe will be back on a regular basis anytime very soon. Mm. We wish him all the best, and I'm hoping that he will grace our presence uh, with an appearance. That would be awfully nice. In the meantime, I need to ask you, Frank, and I'm going to ask you right on the air. I I feel like I have to—you know what? I need to get down on one knee. (laughs) I'm down on one knee. Frank? He is. (laughs) <laughs> Would you make me the happiest podcaster in the world and be my new permanent co-host? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And here and here's the ring to prove. <laughs> yeah, that really. I'm no, sincere. I would, I would be honored to do it. Well, I've that would be fantastic. That. We've had such fun together mm-hmm. uh, the last oh what couple of months that yeah. we've been doing yeah. these. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Hey. Uh, our listeners have told us that they enjoy our uh, rapport. And so you haven't got a lot of hate tape. mail. I haven't gotten any hate mail. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at our producer, and she's saying no hate mail. No hate mail. All <laughs> thumbs up. All good. So you're in. Yay. Okay. Uh, cool. We'll, we'll get you going. On, get my decoder um, ring. <laughs> I'll teach you the secret handshake. Okay. Good. All Yay. of that stuff. Hey, have you heard that there's been an announcement in Hollywood for a casting call that yep. Steven Spielberg has a new film about sharks on the horizon. Really? Yeah. Your favorite sharks. Interesting enough. No, it's not another installment of Jaws, but West Side Story. I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah he's Thursday, redoing West Side Story. Uh, the uh, film's casting director posted an image of the announcement on Twitter, of all mm-hmm. places. Yeah. The details are a little scarce, Frank. The call lists Mr. Spielberg as the film's director. And get this, Tony Kushner, the Tony and Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and screenwriter, is listed as the writer. Mr. Spielberg and uh, Kushner previously collaborated on the films uh, Munich and Lincoln. Right. 
isn't West Side Story already written? Well, it is. The casting call refers to the search for the four main characters, of course, Tony, Maria, Anita, and Bernardo. Uh, an updated casting call released by the film's producers on Friday said that a strong dance background is necessary. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they added that. Yeah. The original call said that dance experience would be, quote, preferred. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, the Broadway uh, musical was written by Arthur Lawrence, directed by the great Jerome Robbins, and Robert Wise was the film, the original film. So it sounds like they're going to rewrite the script a little bit, maybe update it. What they were going to try to do is use actually ethnically Puerto Rican people. It's fascinating. Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg. As you know, we interviewed Cheetah Rivera on the show, the original Anita in uh, the Broadway company of Mm -hmm. West Side Story. She was in town recently doing a one-nighter at uh, Steppenwolf. And we're going to go to Steppenwolf Soon, in a few weeks, we and we're going to see a one-night show of Patti LuPone and yeah, Seth Rudetsky on stage in sort of a give-and-take, sing-a-few-songs, tell-a-few-stories-have-a-few-laughs type thing. Uh, very much like a speech competition, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> She'll get up and read some prose. All right, so I'm burying the lead here. we got to talk about the Oscars. Let's start with a category. Okay. All right. All right. Let's start with Best Supporting Actor. Okay. I will admit that I have seen all of the nominated films okay. and a few of two. the non-nominated films, but some that the actors were nominated for. For instance, here's William Defoe in The Florida Project, Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Richard Jenkins. I just loved Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World. And Sam Rockwell, also in Three Billboards. Right. What do you think is the front runner here? Who is your pick? Well, Sam Rockwell has won all of the... He won the Golden Globe. He won the Screen Actors. Indeed. He, he really was... They, they had talked about Willem Dafoe being like a shoe-in, and he hasn't really won any of the big awards. Sam Rockwell has. And if I were voting, I would vote for Sam Rockwell. I loved Willem Dafoe. I actually liked everybody in that category, though I did not see Christopher Plummer, so I can't really comment on that. What I loved about Sam Rockwell was the arc that his character had in that movie. He starts off as such such a kind of a hilarious jerk, and he really comes around and becomes someone you're kind of rooting for at the end. And I think when a person goes through a change like that, it shows more than somebody who just is kind of either a nice guy from beginning to end or evil from beginning to end. I also think Sam Rockwell's been around for a long time and really is kind of overdue for some real recognition. Indeed, and I couldn't agree more with you about his performance. It runs the gamut from A to Z. He does everything in it. He's hilarious. He's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. He's evil. He's hateful. He's generous. I don't know how Martin McDonough packed all of that into one character, but he managed to do it. I have to agree with you. My vote would go to Sam Rockwell for Mm -hmm. this film. Let's move on to the actress in the supporting role category. Mary J. Blige in Mudbound, which Uh I did not see. I did. um, Which hasn't really made the rounds here in Chicago. It's on Netflix. Netflix, indeed. Allison Janney in I, Tonya. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. She has a wonderful role there. Laurie Medcalf in Lady Bird. And Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. This is an interesting category. I think these performances, and again, I haven't seen Mary J. Blige, but all of these performances are kind of all over the place. They are. They are completely different styles, completely different yep. types of yep. films. Who's your front runner here? Well, this category, I loved all of them. I'd be very happy if any of them 
would win. And for a while, it looked like Laurie Metcalf was going to be the one who was going to win. But now, Alison Janney for I, Tanya has been winning, again, the Screen Actors Guild and winning the Golden Globe. And I would vote for Alison Janney. I thought she was fabulous in I, Tanya. I loved I, Tanya. And I just thought she was such a despicable person. But the way Janney plays her, you like her and you want to see more scenes with her, even though she's probably the worst mother in the world. Indeed. She kind of vanishes towards the second half of the movie, but they're focusing on other things at that point. And Tonya Harding has moved out of the house, and so she's not interacting with her mother on a really daily basis anymore. So it's just natural. But what's funny about that is the way the movie is put together. I totally think it should have been nominated for Best Picture, but it wasn't. At one point, you're right, we don't see Alison Janney's character, but they do a series of interviews where they talk to Tanya Harding, they talk to Jeff Gluley, and then they sort of build on those things, and they talk to her. And at one point, she has been on for a while. So they bring her out, and she goes, well, my part's gone to shit. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) That's all that she says, and then they move on to something else. She comments on The fact that she's been cut out of the movie for the last 30 minutes. I, like you, think that I, Tonya should have been nominated. Oh, yeah. yeah. It may, in fact, be my second favorite movie of the mm-hmm. year. I, my number three. I enjoyed it mm-hmm. so much, and I mm-hmm. didn't expect to. No. You think, Tony Harding, why would I want to see a movie like that? And, and Margot Robbie is so great. fantastic in this part. She is. She is. While you don't necessarily come away feeling that Tanya Harding's been vindicated. She really hasn't. But you sort of see where she came from. She herself admitted she yeah. was sort of white trash. She was kind of prejudiced against because of the kind of person she yeah. was. Yeah. Ice skating can be kind of an elite sort of sport. She wasn't one of them. So you admire her independent spirit and her lack of playing that game. Cost her, but nevertheless, you sure. come away admiring that. I suspect that female figure skating on a professional level may be one of the most cutthroat things oh, it is. you can probably be involved in. Some of the Oscar snubs this year and surprises that didn't make the uh-huh. nominations, right. and we've mentioned Itonia yeah. already here. Others were, and this is uh, one that is fraught with all kinds of craziness and political ramifications. So I won't talk about it too much, but James Franco didn't get nominated for The Disaster Artist. And The Disaster Artist is wonderful. Have you seen it? I did not. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful, and he's great in it. It's outrageous. He plays this (laughs) character who made supposedly the worst movie of all time, and he plays him to a T to the point where if you watch past the credits, (laughs) you have James Franco... And this Tommy Wiseau talking to each other as Tommy Wiseau. But yeah. the movie is funny. It's heartbreaking. It's so terrific. It's my number, I believe it's number number seven of the year. I thought it was it was that good. Yeah, it's my number seven movie of the oh, year. Oh, on your, your list of your top ten movies of yeah. the year, number yeah. seven. Let's face it, there are only five nominees. Not everybody can get nominated. You know, the the films are something else. They can do, what, up to ten? Yeah, and they did nine. So that's something else. But there's only five. Five slots. Someone's going to miss out for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. This leads me to Steven Spielberg uh, not being nominated for The Post as Best Director. Yeah. Maybe it's because we just take for granted that Spielberg is such a master of his craft. automatically gets in, yeah. Well, not that he automatically gets in, but that you don't really see the great filmmaking because we just sort Uh, of expect Spielberg's film to look like that. That's true. To pace that way. There's been talk that he's been, quote, snubbed this year. But again, 
there's only five yeah. nominees, and yeah. the five directors on this list are, are all extraordinary. Absolutely. And it's, I like The Post a lot. It's my number nine movie of the year. But yeah, he didn't make that cut. My most disturbing snub this year is Michael Stuhlberg. Uh, who was in three different pictures. He was in Call Me By Your Name, he was in The Post, and he was in The Shape of Water. He was, Uh, And he had a fairly substantial role in Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, he really had a great year, and he has a beautiful scene at the end of Call Me By Your Name. That scene, I thought, as I'm watching it, I said, nominee right there this is this is a supporting actor performance but i was disappointed cuz i like him and he's been mm-hmm. such a working man's actor for so many years he really has. and this has been a really great breakout year for him my big snub is uh, martin mcdonough not getting a best director nomination you're a big martin mcdonough fan Huge we have actually talked fan. about that uh, in a past episode I thought Three Billboards, which is my number two movie of the year, was wonderful and fabulously directed. I mean, wrote and directed it. So I just thought it was it was terrific. And you know, I've, I go way back with him, some of his very first plays, Beauty Queen of Linane, which is playing, I think, this year in Skokie. Mm-hmm. That was my big snub. That and I, Tanya, not getting nominated for Best Picture are my two big snubs. Let's talk about Best Director then. Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig, that's for true. Lady Bird, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. I think that that's a kind of a surprise nomination. Huge surprise. Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I'm going to probably go with uh, Mr. del Toro for yeah. The Shape of Water. It's an extraordinary movie. It's an extraordinary directorial effort. Mm-hmm. The scope of the fantasy of that movie is just riveting. Yeah, it's Um, quite stunning. And it looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole movie, you probably notice most of the movie is in like green and blue. Mm -hmm. Everything's green and blue, like Mm -hmm. like aqua water uh, everywhere. Costumes, lighting, her bathroom, all of that stuff. And it takes place in the 50s, but it looks futuristic, which is very strange. And it feels futuristic. Yeah, it's something unreal about it. They're in Baltimore, right? Yeah, because they go to the Baltimore docks uh, towards the end. So, who's your pick here? I think he will end up probably winning. He's won the Directors Guild Award. He's won Golden Globes Globes. and some of those. So he's kind of pulled ahead as the front runner. I'd be delighted if Greta Gerwig won. Like I said, that's a very very strong category, with the exception for me of Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson was not your favorite nominee. Because that movie was not a favorite of mine. (laughs) Not on your top ten list? No. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. A strange movie. It's an odd film. A beautiful film. It's up for best costumes, and there's some sumptuous costumes. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's about a a clothing designer in the 1950s played by Daniel Day-Lewis. So there's all these, you know, Chanel type of outfits that he's constantly making and women parading around in them. That's beautiful. (laughs) There are some good performances, but I thought the two lead characters were so unlikable. I didn't like him, and I didn't like her. I thought he was annoying and mean, and I thought she was a twit. And so I thought, I don't care about these people. I loved Leslie Manville as a sister. I thought yeah. she was great. I liked her performance, and I liked the character. Yeah. But I didn't like the other two at all. Didn't care for her, as you said. She was certainly manipulative, to she say was. the least. She's boring. She was so boring. His character is not fully likable. But you got to admit, that is, once again, a fully committed performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. It is. He's not supposed to be likable. You're not supposed to like him. 
So back to directors. So yeah. you think Guillermo del Toro I will think win? He will win. Yeah. Would that be your pick if you were voting? Um, give me the five again. Christopher Nolan. I will say this about Dunkirk. It is a staggering achievement. Yeah. It is just amazing to watch. I think probably del Toro first and maybe Nolan second. And I just saw that recently. I didn't see it when it first came out, and I was just stunned by it. So Going back to supporting actress once again, your pick was Alice and Janney. Yeah. I don't think I ever said what my pick okay. was. Lori Medcalf. Okay. I think I'd be thrilled her if she won. time is now. Yep. Let's talk about a movie that's not nominated for virtually anything, The Florida Project, which again, well, I saw just recently. It's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost nothing, uh, but uh, Best just Supporting that. Actor. Yeah. You're a big fan of this movie. I love this movie. It was my number six movie of the year. And why? It felt so real to me. This takes place in a uh, cheap motel with mostly food stamp people living there, and so... <laughs> Like movies about it's a welfare, food it's a welfare, yeah, welfare motel. Yeah, it really, is. it really uh, is. Florida Strip in Orlando, and I saw it was really raw and still found a lot of humor. And I think the young girl Brooklyn Prince is the best performance of the year, bar none, over every single person we've talked about. I thought she was absolutely incredible. She was kind of a brat, but the most perfect child character I've seen in movies and the kind of stuff she has to go through. If anyone sees this movie, pay attention to her because she was amazing. I don't know if it was improv or if it was how scripted it was, but you believe every single word she says in every single scene. She's what? She's five? Uh, no, I think she's like seven maybe, but yeah, she's pretty young. She is worth seeing the movie. I think she's out of this world. I watched The Florida Project last night and I have to say, it may be one of the saddest movies I've ever watched. Uh, I As was, pathetic. I it was is. kind yeah. of pathetically yeah. sad from beginning yeah. to end. Yeah. I did not understand the ending, and I was completely depressed by the hour and 40 minutes before that. Mm-hmm. I did not see the value of the filmmaking. I like William Defoe, and I liked him in this picture. Does he deserve a nomination? I don't know. Maybe. I guess so. But I, I did not like this picture. The movie ends in Disneyland. We're not really giving anything away. But Disney the World. Kids go into, yeah. I'm sorry, Disney World. And the reason the movie's called The Florida Project is that was the original name of Disneyland, or Disney World. It was called The Florida Project before it was Disney World. And so... They live very close to it. I think they're somewhere in Orlando. Sure. And so it's their world is not Disney World. Their world is as, as the far, Florida Project. It's as far yeah. from Disney World so I think as it's, she can possibly it's, get. A, yeah. She finally gets to go to Disney World. Yeah, but she doesn't really. You, she doesn't you know, really, her, but she's her, there. Her, I mean, little, her little friend drags her out, and we don't know where they're going, and then suddenly they're running through the main street of Disney yeah. World. Well, first of all, you, you can't sneak into Disney World, especially if you're like a five, six, seven-year-old kid. That's not the point. Well, I, I got the <laughs> metaphor. I, I really did. I got it. I was just, I thought I was getting hit over the head with a frying pan at the end. After being banged on the back of the head with the same frying pan for the first hour and 40. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this movie. I appreciate that you are, and I can understand. Well, I went with two friends, that you like and I loved it. 
my one friend thought it was okay. My other friend hated it. So mm. there's lots of room for Interesting. disagreement on this film. But I was riveted from the beginning to end, and I thought it was so raw and so interesting. And I don't get to see people like that. They're not part of my world. And so while it is sad and depressing, it was also fascinating to me to be a part of that even for a short period of time. Let's talk about my favorite category this year because okay. of the nominees, Best Actor in a Leading Role. Okay. Timothy Chalamet for mm-hmm. Call Me By Your Name. Daniel Day-Lewis, already uh, mentioned, for Phantom Thread. Daniel Kaluuya mm-hmm. uh, for Get Out. Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. who portrays Winston Churchill in right. Darkest Hour. And the great Denzel Washington in a crazy, crazy nomination for this movie. Roman Franco J. Slot. Israel Esquire, the James <laughs> Franco slot. Yeah, unfortunately. Perhaps so. I did not see the Denzel Washington film. I did not either. So I can't even give that its proper attention. Let's just say that I don't think Denzel's going to win. So let's concentrate on the other four. What okay. what do you think about these other nominations? Well, Gary Oldman's performance is unbelievable. If you see what Gary Oldman looks like, and then you see Winston Churchill, they look nothing alike, and he looks exactly like Winston Churchill. I think it's going to win best makeup or whatever, makeup and hair or something, because it's just a staggering transformation. And also, he talks and acts just like you see Winston Churchill in all the you know newsreels or, or whatever. Yeah. So I think his performance is amazing, and I think he could win. There could be some harassment issues with him. Evidently, he had problems. I think if that happens, then it'll go to Timothy Chalamet, who I think is very exciting and very interesting in uh, Call Me By Your Name. As is it Chalamet? Did it's I, how they say it. Yeah. I, I, must, I mispronounced it. it earlier. I, yeah. I, I beg your pardon. Chalamet. Yeah, Chalamet is how he says it. But the closing credits are on his face after something has happened, and I've never seen that before. And you just watch his face, and you see all these emotions While happening. While he's staring into the fire. Staring right? into the fire, and we're watching the credits and looking at him. I thought that part was just really exquisite. I thought that was great. I liked Daniel Kaluga. Is that how you say it? Kaluya. Kaluya. I liked him in, in Get Out. I didn't see Denzel. And who's the, the fifth one? Who am I missing? It's Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, I, uh, I'd written that movie. Yeah, out. so I'm fascinated so. by this category because I just mm-hmm. don't know which direction the voters are going to go. As you say, there's some possible taint with Gary Oldman. There's newcomers, Chalamet and Kaluuya in really wonderful films, but first-time nominations. Yeah, if Get Out hits it big, which it could in a lot of categories, Kaluuya could, could win it. It hasn't yet. It's been nominated for things, but it's not won any of the big awards yet. So if, you know, for some reason the Academy decides to embrace, embrace the movie, which the Critics Awards and the Golden Globes haven't, I, I think he'd have a good chance. I'm going to go with Gary Oldman. Yeah, I probably, if I were a betting man, I probably would go with Oldman because... What if you weren't a betting man? I would still go with Gary Oldman. (laughs) I I think he probably will have the edge because he's been around for a long time. A couple of other snubs that I wanted to mention as we're moving down the list here. Uh, Holly Hunter in The Big Sick. I did love The Big Sick. I thought she was a lock. Yeah, yeah. So do the critics. As supporting actress. Yeah, yeah. She was wonderful, and she's always been one of my absolute Mm -hmm. favorites. Broadcast News is certainly one of my top ten favorite movies of all time, and mostly because of her. And also The Big Sick. Yeah. Uh, There's room for at least one more Best Picture 
in yeah, this list. It's uh, true. Certainly, it could have been that, and that would have been a it big boost for it. It did get a screenplay nomination. Yeah. Big Sick did, which I think no. it's a great screenplay. So that's that's good. But the guy who starred in it also Camille, wrote. Yeah. The, he wrote because uh, it's script. about his own life and his wife. Yeah. One other surprise. Speaking of the Call Me by Your Name film and Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer. Yeah, yeah. In the role opposite him. Right. He was just as remarkable. Yeah. Carried the picture, I thought, pretty much. Yeah, no, I would agree. At least the tone of the picture. Yeah. And uh, it's just a shame that there aren't more than five Yeah, slots. I don't know how I would cut out, but I definitely wished he had gotten a nomination, which I should mention, by the way, Call Me By Your Name is my number one movie of the year. Your, I mention that Your yet. personal, my number, personal one number one year. favorite I thought movie it, it, of the year. Checked all the boxes for me. Leading actress, Mm. Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water. Yep. Frances McDormand in Three Billboards. Margot Robbie in I, Tonya. Cher Ronan Mm -hmm. in Lady Bird. And Meryl Streep (laughs) with her 21st nomination for The Post. That is a great category. Every single one of those performances I thought were great. I was not surprised by any of them, and I think they're well-deserving. I think it's a stronger category than The Best Actor. Mm. I really do, because I think uh, any of them could win. I don't think Streep will, because she's won so much, and this isn't necessarily one of her more showy roles, but she's really good in the post. She has some really significant pivotal scenes in that. Shersha Ronan, of course, carries Lady Bird, and you know, she's charming and annoying at the same time, which is hard to do. Margot Robbie does incredible things with Tanya Harding, the fact that she makes her a sympathetic, to some extent, believable real person. Who else have we got? Frances McDormand Frances and Sally McDormand Hawkins. And Sally Hawkins, yeah. They're probably the top two as far as in contention. Sally Hawkins doesn't have any lines in The Shape of Water, but she's very, very expressive, and I think Frances McDormand probably is going to win because she has to do it all in that film. At the risk of just being too predictable, I have to agree with you. She does yeah. just everything in that film. Again, I just saw it recently, and so it's very fresh in yeah, my mind. Yeah. So we've been doing a lot of criticism um, on this broadcast so far, or at least our personal criticisms. Mm-hmm. Whether we're film experts or not, we'll let our uh, listening experts. public decide. But I did want to mention something. A long time... Uh, Sun-Times theater critic here in Chicago, uh, Hetty Weiss, uh, was just a day ago let go from the newspaper. She was? Oh, wow. They claim that they are eliminating the position of theater critic, of main theater critic, but a lot of people think that that might just be a ploy to uh, kind of move her out because of her union protection. And after 34 years, it's going to also mean less ongoing theater coverage in Chicago. Mm. It doesn't sound like they're going to actually replace her, and they may bring in stringers and freelancers to Uh, do reviews. Maybe us. Well, (laughs) I'm going to say that there is a niche that Booth One does fill, and maybe we're going to fill it a little bit farther. Yeah, maybe. Or further, I should say. The the sad fact is that they've eliminated this position at Mm. a major metropolitan newspaper and yet another outlet for arts criticism and promotion is gone. So, Frank, we're just going to have to step in and fill the void. We will. (laughs) (laughs) Next week we'll go and review everything in town. There we go. (laughs) Let's address the screenwriting 
okay. categories, just briefly. Okay. All right. There yep. are there are two, of course. There's adapted screenplay and original screenplay. I just want to get your take on which one of these you think okay. uh, is your pick this year. Adapted right. screenplay, meaning taken from another source uh, and adapted for the screen, of course. Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan. Mm-hmm. About the... Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, Molly's Game and Mudbound. Well, I obviously think Copy By Your Name is the best one in there. And I think it is kind of the front runner. People talked about it. Most of the screenplays in that category are good, with the exception of Logan. I watched it last night, and I'm like, who nominated this? Really? For- oh, I enjoyed that movie. And I, I, don't, and I don't like was those like, Marvel. Yeah, I don't like but the, what uh, kind the of X-Men screenplay movies. was that? They were like chasing people and shooting people and blowing things up. I could have written that. I, mean, I just was not impressed at all with the screenplay, so I don't know yeah. how it got in there, considering yeah. some other ones maybe that didn't get nominated. Mm. But Call Me By Your Name, I think, is certainly the top of that category. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful adaptation mm-hmm. of a beautiful story. It is. And uh, I, I have to agree with you on, on that category. The original screenplay category has The Big Sick, uh-huh. which we talked about. Very There's worthy. its nomination. Yep. Get Out, of course. Yep. Lady Bird. The Shape of Water. I just like saying Lady Bird. Instead of Lady Bird, it always reminds me of Lady Bird Johnson. The Shape of Water and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, written by your, your favorite, hero. Uh, yeah. your hero, Martin McDonough. Yeah. I would pick three billboards, I think. And I think at this point it's a front runner as well. But I think that the script is so clever and he makes you laugh and then he shocks you. Do you think they might give him this because he was left off the director? I think they probably will. And I don't know that the movie will win Best Picture, although it has won the Screen Actors Guild Award for Ensemble. It also won the Golden Globe. So it could. But if it doesn't win Best Picture, I think it'll definitely get this as its big win along with Francis McDormand. Yeah. I'm going to go with Get Out, which I think is a... It's very original. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant original script. Uh, Let's go to the big category. Let's go to Best Picture and and, and count ourselves down here. We'll do them one by one. Call Me By Your Name. We've talked a little bit about that picture already. It's a beautiful film. Who wouldn't want to spend six weeks in the summer in the north of Italy surrounded by beautiful Mm -hmm. and really intelligent people Mm -hmm. who do really interesting things and eat really fun meals outside under a big tree (laughs) and drink wine and go diving for uh, archaeological artifacts. It's... uh, who wouldn't have yeah. fun doing that? True. And who wouldn't be caught up in the entire romance of that? I think it's a lovely picture. I enjoyed it from beginning to end. The performances are terrific. I thought it was maybe 20 minutes too long. It does run a little bit long, yeah. But if you're enjoying it, you want more. So, Well, if you're enjoying it, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, no, I agree with everything you said. I, I, just, yeah. I just felt there was... A little bit of reining in on the pace of the picture right in the middle-ish. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And I'll say this. I'll never look at a peach the same way again. (laughs) See the movie. You'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you're kind of in agreement on that. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I don't think it's going to win. I, like I said, it was my favorite of the year. But just looking at all the factors, I don't think it's going to win. But I'm happy it was nominated. Let's take the next two because they take place in the very same time frame in history. Uh, Darkest Hour and Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. If I had 
to do it all over again and I knew what both of these pictures actually were about and when they happened, I would have watched Darkest Hour up until the point when he calls for the Merchant Marine and all of the <laughs> independently owned boats uh -huh. to go to Dunkirk to rescue these 300,000 men that are stuck on the beach. I would have watched Darkest Hour up to that point. I would have then slapped in Dunkirk and watched that for the next two hours. Then gone back. Then I would have gone back <laughs> and see the result yeah, of that. Yeah, Because uh, they, they even show a shot of boats crossing right. the channel in Darkest Hour, though the main thrust of that movie is not about that particular operation, no. Operation Dynamo, I believe it was called. Mm -hmm. But I, I would have watched it that way. And for those of you out there who have not seen either film and intend to, uh, either on DVD or in some other fashion... I would recommend watching them that way. Well, I, di I didn't quite do that, but I did watch them in that order. I had watched Darkest Hour maybe three weeks ago. And this is the first, I mean, I didn't really know what Dunkirk was about. I didn't really know about that particular battle or that particular operation. And so I saw it and they talked about rescuing these men. And then when I watched Dunkirk, which is about a week ago, that's what it was about. And it made so much more sense to me. I would recommend people watch Darkest Hour first if you have the option, because it sort of touches on that particular plan. And then you get to see it happening. Together. They're two pretty good movies. Yeah, they are. Uh, Dunkirk, I think, is a superior achievement, not just technologically. It's incredible. I mean, it's just an incredible the movie. The way he's able to tell three separate stories from yeah. the ground, the sea, and the air sometimes virtually without any dialogue whatsoever, mm -hmm. is really quite stunning and extraordinary. Uh, and uh, he does deserve his director nomination. Yeah. What he does, he gives you the macro and the micro. You're seeing this giant operation on land, but then you zero in on three soldiers who are attempting to be saved, and then you zero in on Mark Rylance and these two young men who are on a private ship little which is yacht. coming little yeah, yacht yeah. coming in to save them and the various things that happens. Yeah. So you see the big sweeping operation, but then you also see it on a personal level. And I thought it worked on both levels and that's what I thought was so good about the but very very well put the macro and the micro yeah. uh, of, of that operation. We'll move on to the next best picture nomination nominee, I guess. Uh, get Out. Most people saw that movie quite some months right, ago. Right, which is remarkable that it lasted enough to get a lot of nominations. Usually uh, they indeed. fade away. But here we are at Best Picture. I, I don't know what to say about Get Out that hasn't already been said. Mm -hmm. It's a terrific, terrific movie. Mm -hmm. Extremely entertaining. And disturbing. <laughs> and disturbing. And it takes you places that yeah. you don't expect to go. Some people call it a horror movie. I wouldn't call it horror. I think it's a suspense movie, um, yeah. like a lot of Hitchcock, in fact. There are horrifying things that happen to people in the movie. Pretty horrible what happens to them. Although yeah. the movie's not particularly gory in the sense that there's arms and legs chopped off. There's enough horror there that if people like horror movies, they will be satisfied. Yeah. I would say of my top three films of the year, this is probably my second favorite. Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's film. Enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice slice of that particular kind of life and the teenage angst and kinds of things, you know, kids sort of go through. I thought it was a wonderful film. 
it's a small movie. Mm-hmm. Not a lot happens. Yeah. You're unsure where this is going to go. Obviously, it's her journey through her senior year in high school yeah. and her relationship with her mother. But there's not a big revelation. You know what? It's like I said earlier in the broadcast. Life happens. Yeah, it's it's, it's life. life. It's a happening. slice of life, and, and it's, it's all huge for her. Yeah, and not for us necessarily, but these gigantic things happen to her. Yeah, and they're important to her as they would be important to yeah. each of us it if it was to our you. lives. Right. Phantom Thread. Not, not a, a big fan. fan, right? No, not really a fan. I just, like I said, I didn't like the characters. Mm. I like looking at it. Yeah, but um, the two main characters, I just, I had really no use for. I was puzzled. Were you? By the film. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, what's the point of this? Yeah, yeah. Why are we watching these two people kind of go at each other and almost destroy each other? For what end? I could not quite figure out what that was all supposed to be mm-hmm. in terms of what its message for me was. Yeah. But a beautiful movie, as you say. Gorgeous to look, look at. Yeah, Deserving of all the technical nominations and art direction and sure. all that. Absolutely. I went actually with the same people, different night, but the same people who I saw Florida Project with, and we had the exact same kind of reactions. This time, a different person loved it. A different person thought it was okay, and I was the one who didn't like it at all. Wow. So we just kind of shifted positions. Wow. <laughs> what an interesting group of people to go to the movies yeah. with. Yeah. The Post. The next film. I was my number nine. I was impressed with it. Really, it's very timely. Mm. They're talking about freedom of the press, and exactly in this case, Nixon. How much can he squelch what you know they want to print? And he threatened lawsuits. And exactly where is the freedom of the press? And you're sitting there making direct correlations with today. I didn't find that there was enough at stake with the mm. post. It just wasn't enough to really grab me. I found myself wandering, my mind wandering, going, wow, that's an interesting... Hey, that's Michael Stuhlberg. I love him. (laughs) They don't intensify the crisis. It's sort of there for you to watch and to make of what you will in your own mind, which is why because I was connecting it with today, I probably brought my own self into it more than you could have. If you're going to make a movie about journalism, it better have the same kind of suspense as All the President's Men. Yeah, it didn't really have suspense. No. No, uh, I agree with uh, that. Alan J. Pakula is a genius at creating Mm -hmm. suspense and danger where you wouldn't think it exists, Mm -hmm. but suddenly someone's in peril. I just didn't feel that with The Post. I felt it was a nice chronicle of a particular time and a particular event, important to American history, of course, Mm -hmm. but something about the either suspense or the danger. I just didn't feel there was enough at stake. Well, I also think that when you're dealing with Watergate, there was like deep throat and there was covert stuff that was happening that he sort of like slowly but surely revealed to us. In this, it was like, do we publish? Do we not publish? I mean, that was kind of the crux of it. Creating suspense out of an event that we all know what the end of it is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking now of all the president's men. We all know what's going to happen. And yet you watch that movie going... What's going to happen? Now, how, yeah. maybe Nixon didn't resign. Maybe they all got killed. <laughs> but the how was so much more intriguing in that movie. Indeed. There's a little bit of how they got the information. Well, when that journalist tracks down Ellsberg yeah. and he goes covertly to yeah. that motel, mm-hmm. that, that welfare motel. Yeah, really? <laughs> Same set as a And Florida all Project. of these papers are lying on the bed and yeah. he 
stares at them wide-eyed. I thought the movie was going to take that next leap. Yeah. That next leap into suspense and danger. Hmm. And it kind of backed off from it. It did. That was our one chance to do it, and they went in a different direction. It backed so. off. Our next best picture is The Shape of Water. Which I think will win. Like I said earlier, it you know covers all the bases for a best picture. The Shape of Water was in my top ten. It was number four. Oh. So there's three others I'd rather see win, but one of them is I, Tanya, which is three, and that's not nominated. So, What are um, your top two? Two was Billboards, and one was Call Me By Your Name. Ah, see On win, your personal list, again. My personal list, no. yeah. Uh, Billboards, I think, has a shot. Um, I don't think Call Me By Your Name does. Well, let's talk about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's our final best picture. Uh, Again, I just saw this film recently. Mm -hmm. I love this movie. Mm. I love this movie more than I can say. (laughs) Everything about it had me from the word go. I was involved. I was empathetic. I was on the edge of my seat. Mm -hmm. I never knew what the next scene was going to bring. And just when he sets up the next scene and you think, oh, this scene's going to be about A, B, and C, it doesn't turn out that way. It turns out to be about X, Y, and Z. And and it goes places that you just don't expect. And that's what a great film is should do. Absolutely. That's why I think my choice is Three Billboards. And that was your number one of the year? Yes. Get Out, probably a, a, a good tie. Okay. Yeah, very different movies. Hard to compare and I, them. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved The Shape of Water. I loved Lady Bird. Those were all fine films. Mm-hmm. I loved Call Me By Your Name, a beautiful movie. And again, I want to spend six weeks in northern Italy in the middle of summer. <laughs> but not in Ebbing, Missouri. But not in Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> if there is no. such a place, which I don't think there is. No. What's great about Three Billboards is, and I won't say what the ending is, but the ending is not what you expect or even what you want necessarily, but it is so satisfying. But these two characters, unlike Thelma and Louise who drive off a cliff, these two <laughs> characters could appear in a sequel. They could. Well, you know, McDonough did the whole Inishmore trilogy. Indeed. Like Beauty Queen, and there's still some overlap between those, so... You never know. Yeah. Hey, if you like what you hear on Booth One, you can support our efforts in bringing you the finest in the art of lively conversation and chat about theater, film, art, dance, music... And fascinating guests as well, like Delia and Penny that we had yeah, last week. Yeah. That was a wonderful broadcast. You can go to our website at www.booth-one.com. Click on the Donate button. It's easy, it's fast, it's fully tax-deductible as a contribution to our nonprofit production company. Any and all contributions would be greatly appreciated. We're going to move on to our favorite segment, Frank. I know you enjoy this, our Kiss of Death segment. <laughs> yeah. Today we're going to talk about Bob Smith if that is his real name. Mm, It is. Bob Smith, who is widely regarded as the first openly gay comic to perform on The Tonight Show. Mr. Smith's humor was gentle but smart, even when navigating the subject of his sexuality during a time when mainstream audiences were not accustomed to hearing such material. I think what I bring to stand-up comedy, he said, is a point of view of a gay man that isn't the victim, isn't the butt of the joke. I'm making the joke. Well, he told one of his favorite jokes on The Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. Remember that show? I do. Here's the joke. I hope I tell it well. I come from a very conservative family, and it wasn't easy telling my parents that I'm gay. I made my carefully worded announcement at Thanksgiving one year. I said, Mom, would you please pass the gravy to a homosexual? She passed it to my father. (laughs) 
<laughs> now that's a good joke. It's a great joke. And, you know, sort of self-deprecating, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, he's making the joke, and he's not right. being the victim of it. The comedian Judy Gold, who was a longtime friend, I recalled that, yeah, me too. Bob came out on stage as a proud gay man in straight comedy clubs in the mid-1980s by telling unthreatening and hilarious jokes. There were so many of us who were terrified to be truthful about who we were at the time because it would end our careers. And then here was this tall, handsome man who resembled Jimmy Stewart, fearlessly delivering brilliant material with dignity and confidence. He talked about his sexuality like it was no big deal. Robert Smith was born on December 24th, 1958, in Buffalo. It gives you a sense of uh, how young he really was. Wow, 58. He had a joke about his birth date. He said, people with December birthdays now know from years of experience what the three wise men said when they delivered their gifts to the baby Jesus. Uh, These are both for Christmas and your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I know someone whose birthday is on Christmas Day, and they have that same experience every year. He frequently mined his youth for materials for his stand-up routines. While talking about sex with your parents is difficult for straight teenagers, it's even more trying for gay teenagers, he wrote. He did write a number of books as well about his comedy and about his uh, experiences growing up. It takes considerable maturity when your parents are attempting to tell you the facts of life to interrupt and inform them of the facts of your life. Oh. Mr. Smith graduated from the University of Buffalo with a degree in English, made his Manhattan stand-up debut at Comedy U Grand in Soho in July 1986, at a time when being openly gay was fraught with risks, especially in the world of comedy, where heterosexual men dominated and gay bashing was still good for laughs. Yeah, yeah. It must have taken an awful lot of guts yeah. to stand oh, up there in front of a crowd in 1986 in Soho. In 1988, he and Jaffe Cohen and Danny McWilliams <laughs> formed a, a group called Funny Gay Males, each man performing his own material in an evening-length show. The act caught on. It was a show anyone could enjoy and very different from much of the mainstream comedy. There was less profanity, for one thing, more humility, less aggression, not a single joke demeaning to women or racial minorities. Wow. In July 1994, he made his groundbreaking appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Mr. Smith recalled being confident and well-rehearsed for that appearance until he realized that Mr. Leno's guest was Garth Brooks, the country music star. I remember this is hilarious. I remember looking out at the audience and seeing half the crowd had cowboy hats on. Oh, he geez. said, "I just said to myself, I hope the gay rodeos in town." Oh, <laughs> Mr. Smith need not have worried. He had the audience laughing from the start. That Mr. Smith was apparently the first openly gay comic on the show was not something anyone realized until afterwards. Mr. Leno has said he was a proud gay person. I think prior to that, a lot of gay comedians played to gay audiences, whereas he just played to an audience. Mr. Smith's books, as I mentioned earlier, included the novels Selfish and Perverse and Remembrance of Things I Forgot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. He also acted as a sperm donor for a lesbian couple uh, and was also the biological father of their two children. In Treehab, he told that story with gentle humor. Lesbians can afford to be ruthlessly discriminating when picking their sperm donor, he wrote. In fact, if all women were as selective as lesbians, we'd have evolved into a race of gods by now. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Smith, unfortunately, has passed at the tender young age of 59, the first widely regarded openly gay comic to perform on The Tonight Show. 
Well, that's our episode for today, Frank. Okay. I appreciate you giving me your Oscar picks and discussing we'll film with you. Weeks, always yeah. a always a treat to talk about the Oscars yeah. and to talk about the films we've seen. When it's over, we can talk about how mad we are about what won. Well, thank you, everyone. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski. And Frank Taranjo. Saying so long and keep listening. Keep listening.